0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right, guys, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Talk About Flow Podcast, part of Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Brand. Thank you very much as always for locking in, whether it's the audio side, Apple, or Spotify, or whether you're checking this out on YouTube. I am excited about today's episode for a couple of reasons. Number one, because we're back to talking Buffalo Bills now. Training camp has started, but also it has been, this podcast, this episode is long overdue, man. It's been a long time since I've had on Ryan Talbot, NewYorkUp.com. Long-time social media friend of mine. We'll we'll call ourselves social media buddies. It's been a long time and uh, got together last year with you and Matt. We did a live show at Amherst Alehouse. That was a lot of fun, but I looked it up, man. You and I, and you've been on this podcast six, seven times, but solo, it's been a minute, man. In fact, it's been more than a minute. It has been a year and a half, going all the way back to February, 2021. It's the last time I had you on the show. So obviously I'm excited to have you back on, Ryan. How you doing, buddy?
2: Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And I always have a good time chatting with you.
1: Yeah, same here. And like I said, the last time we got together was at Amherst Ale House. You know, and I remember that was fun because you guys did a show first, your own show, and then you did a live show with me and we did it um, over some wings and they were good. You know, chicken wings are like the common denominator of everything. Like it's the one thing that everybody likes. Now, you know, food's always subjective, but who's going to go to Amherst House or like Barbill? Now you might have your opinions on what's the best of the best, you know, what's your Mount Rushmore or whatever, but you ain't going to Amherst House or to, to like Barbill or almost, you ain't going to be like these wings suck. They're always enjoyable, you know?
2: No, a hundred percent. I mean, we're very spoiled in this area. You can go to a lot of places, even, even outside of Buffalo, there's some good wing spots even here in Olean, uh, that I know I can get a consistently good wing. So, for sure. This is a, this is a great place to be if you love chicken wings.
1: Yeah. And look, we're not, gonna, <laughs> my guess is not going to be about chicken wings, folks. Don't <laughs> worry. We're going to talk plenty of Buffalo bills before that though, quickly. So the podcast that you guys are doing right now, shout the Buffalo football podcast. So well, last Friday, I wish I could have went, I had to work, so I couldn't make it, but you and uh, Matt were at resurgence brewery for a live show um, You guys had Jeremy White was the guest on, uh, Josh Reed was there, John Scott, Del Reed. Uh, how was that? How was that experience? I know you guys have done a, a handful of live shows, but this might have been your biggest one, live at Resurgence with those guests and, and the crowd. How how was that?
2: Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, listen, Resurgence is always pretty jam-packed. So then you throw in uh, a live Bill's show with a lot of support from the fan base, a lot of friends that showed up to... Give their support too. so I mean a lot of background noise there which is to be expected when you sure. do these live shows that's that was the only knock that some people had when they were watching the live uh, version of it on YouTube but we cleaned up the audio version a little bit was we're able to get uh, a little bit of that background noise out but overall excellent experience love resurgence. Um, and on a Friday night, you know, what a, what a great way to spend time with, with Matt, some other bills, media members, and a lot of our
1: friends, you know, it was really cool. Obviously, um, the, the guys that you've had on, I've all had them on this podcast at some point or another, and you and Matt kind of took like, you guys were together and then he would have interviewed someone and then you would. And for me, what really stuck out was it was the last segment where you spoke with Dell. And the reason why I say that is it just kind of. It brings back a lot of memories. Like I I said at the very beginning, I've known you for quite a while now through Twitter, man, well over a decade, pretty much at this point. And same with Dell. And I'm just thinking in my mind, because I watched the the feed and then I did listen to it. And you're right. The audio version is definitely more clean up and it sounds better. But regardless of that, it was just really cool to me to see you and Dell in a live setting and how far everybody's come you know what i'm saying like where you were 10 years ago where you are now Dell diddle with bill's mafia and where that's at now and it was just really really cool for me on a personal level and almost kind of surreal to see you guys chopping it up in that kind of setting i thought that was awesome man
2: yeah no surreal is the perfect way to describe it because i, I i've known Dell for you know the the beginnings of bill's mafia and mm-hmm. then he comes up with 26 shirts, and he's doing so many good things for this community now. And it's an honor to be able to call him a friend, but wrote for him as well at BillsMafia.com. Now it's BuffaloFanBase.com. Uh, but we go back quite a ways, and, and it's funny you say that because I even had uh, two other guys show up there, Jonathan Snyder and, and Michael Bunt, or Mike Bunt uh, both of which I wrote with at a little site called Queen City Sports, one of the first sites that I wrote Bills content for, and they were there to kind of come see me have a little queen city sports reunion. So it's really nice to see people that you've worked with from over the years, uh, get to catch up, you know, over some drinks. And, uh, like I said, great night overall at resurgence. Never gets
1: old. It never gets old. it's, it's always fun. Talk about before we get into Bill's stuff and there's plenty of stuff to talk about, talk about the growth of the podcast. So again, shout, uh, the Buffalo football podcast, just, And I only want to talk about YouTube. Like, I know you guys do very well on the audio side, but the YouTube stuff is kind of blowing me away because again, I still remember when you guys first launched this podcast. It's been a while now, but sometimes it feels like it was just a month ago, you know, because time just flies when we're doing this stuff and you know, you guys were doing reasonably well early on and then it kind of slowly over time grew. And now, I mean, you guys are murdering it now you're on a lot and I looked at like some of the numbers and I really don't pay much attention to numbers because I don't, and I don't think anyone who's doing a podcast should ever be obsessed with numbers because they can really change and influence a lot of the things you're doing. It shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be about that. But anyway, I did look at your guys' numbers on some of these videos and holy shit, man. I mean, you guys are pretty much now at this point, anytime you put out a video, you're getting 2,500 3,000 minimum. And, uh, roughly between like three to K per every show you guys do. And I've seen a handful of shows that have reached 10,000, even uh 20,000. Talk about the growth that you and Matt Perino have had on this podcast over time and where it started and where it's at now.
2: Yeah, it's been pretty wild. And listen, you know, Matt deserves a ton of the credit. He came over from UFC and he had that video background. And one of the first things he said when he ended up uh, getting the job, NY up in Syracuse.com was, you know, podcast video content it's the way of the future Mm -hmm. um he he stuck by that those beliefs and over time it said we said okay we need to start our own podcast and um it it went by a different name at first and and we learned quickly you can't use like the word bills right in the right the title um so that was a learning experience but we we landed on shout a buffalo football podcast Originally, we were under the NYUP YouTube page, which was fine, and that was great, but there'd be people there going to look at videos on anything that NYUP was covering, and that kind of got us uh, mixed in with a lot of different things, so we wanted to have our own specific channel. We've had that now for over a year, and we're over 6,000 subscribers. You've mentioned it, a minimum of generally 2,500, 3,000 views each pod, which isn't it is impressive considering the fact that we're going live um, sometimes every other day, every day during times like this training camp minus days off. So um, just last week we did a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We did Sunday yesterday. That is for the first day of training camp. We'll go live today around three to four in that range. Any day there's a training camp practice. Now we'll be going live. I'll be there with Matt Friday and Saturday this week, uh, return to the blue and red on the fifth. And then I'll be going solo on the seventh, uh, back in Rochester when Matt has something else going on, but Matt will either be there every day or I'll be there covering with him as well. So we'll have you covered with all your Bills news. It
1: is, um, it is incredible to me again how it's been built over time. Like this, building a channel, a YouTube channel like you guys have done, or building a podcast, any kind of brand, whatever it is, whether it's audio, whether it's video, it's not something that happens overnight. And with you guys, it's been about continuity, you know, the two of you together, uh, dependability, you know, you're going to get certain times you're going to get your show, uh, consistency, good guests that you guys have on from time to time and uh, personality too. I, I really think personality matters a lot and uh, people know what they're getting with yourself and Matt. I watched your show. Um, so we're taping this, by the way, we're taping this Monday around lunchtime. So if anything crazy happens with the bills later on on Monday, Ryan and I are taping this In fact, Ryan, speaking of being busy, you're going to be doing your show a little bit later on live, of course, whereas this is taped, but I did watch Sunday's show after the first day of camp. And this is what I'm talking about when it comes to personality and having a little bit of quirkiness because just talking straight bills after a while, there's enough outlets that it's like, okay, I I get it, you know, and you have differences of opinions, but it's kind of like the same topics. But what I like is sometimes, like I said, you guys just talk about off the wall shit. Like um, you brought up toilet paper because it, who was it? It was, it was Von, Von Miller. Miller. It was Von Miller who was complaining about the toilet paper on day one. So you bring that up and literally in the middle, when you're bringing that up, Matt leaves the camera, and he comes back with a roll of toilet paper. Cause Matt's staying in the dorm rooms in Rochester and he's showing you the toilet paper. Then he's giving you a tour around his little, uh, around his dorm room and his little makeshift studio that he made up. You know what I'm saying? I, I feel like the personality that you guys are bringing to the podcast is at least part of the reason. I mean, the football knowledge comes first and foremost, but the personality also plays a factor in why you guys are able to continue to grow your brand.
2: Yeah, we we mesh very well together. I mean, we both have families, young kids. Our kids get along really well when we get together. Um, But, you know, it's tough juggling life in general. I know Matt's heavily involved with coaching his kids, uh, as is his wife, And, and my kids are involved in different sports and activities, and we're all over the place doing things But then Matt and I still have the time to text almost every single day to get together, do these pods. Um, We've always clicked from day one. And then, you know, to the channel's success, the Bills fans deserve a lot of credit too. They're in there. They're very active. They're asking questions. They can steer the conversation at times, especially right now where uh, the Bills aren't padded up. So there's some things to watch, things to be encouraged by. But really, once they're in pads, that's when you get a really good feeling of, uh, who's going to be playing where, who's going to be doing what, who's for real, who's not. Because when you're not in pads, it's it's a lot easier to show burst, show explosion, look uh, like a different player, so to speak. But now with the fans interacting, asking us questions, they can kind of have more say in it. And, and you know, th- there's still things that Matt and I are learning about this. It was about a month, maybe a month and a half ago, someone did a super chat. We had no idea what it was. Um, That's not something that we were familiar with at all. It just showed up in a different color on the screen, and we're like, "Well, you know, it looks like they paid for this. Let's get it up there and ask." And we're not encouraging fans to do that by any stretch of the imagination. But it's just like we're still learning. We're still growing with this thing, and there's stuff that we still have to learn on on a day by day basis. So that's another part of the cool part of this podcast from the video standpoint. You
1: you know, it's so funny because your podcasts has become so popular that sometimes it's actually hard to remember that you guys actually write and cover the team. You know, primarily you got reporters who write about the team, but the podcast has become so popular at times on the surface. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Ryan writes about the bills, Matt writes about the bills. They actually have articles. It's just, again, it's just, that's strictly because the podcast has just become so big and like must watch for a lot of bills fans, you know? <laughs>
2: it- yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we can always refer back to articles that we've done sure. and things like that on the show and and point them in the direction, but uh, again, the the podcast, you wouldn't believe how many people I've had come up to me and say, "Oh, yeah, it's great. I have a 40 45 minute commute to work and I listen to that on my way to work. I finish it on my way home." And, you know, I wouldn't advise pulling up an article and trying to read that while you're on the road driving <laughs> to work, but you can at least listen to our takes and uh, drive reasonably safe in, in that, uh, manner. So the, the podcast works in, in a lot of different ways for Bill's fans in terms of, uh, their needs and how they can listen while they're, you know, going to work, mowing the yard, doing chores around the house, whatever the case may be.
1: Yeah. And, um, I, I refer to one of the reasons I think a, a, a brand is successful growing and growing is consistency and viewers and listeners have habits and they're forming, you know, people To your point, they listen to your show on the way to work or on the way home from work or both sometimes or during lunch hour. So having that consistency out there with the podcast means a lot. But anyway, all right. So let's get into some actual Buffalo Bills stuff for the first time in seemingly months. Anyway, there's actual stuff going on because now training camp has started two days of practice in, okay, but not so much before we talk about any of the practice, just the vibe right now with this team. to me. And again, I'm old. I've been around. Okay, I was around during the Super Bowl era, and I wasn't just around. I mean, I I wasn't old, but I was a teenager old enough to kind of know what was going on. And this team right now has such a legitimate um, rock star vibe to it that it's uh it's crazy. I haven't seen this since the early '90s, and maybe you know not throughout the nation, but at least in this Western New York region. Um, I mentioned to you, we talked for a few minutes before we started tape, but it almost has like this mid-90s, 1996 Chicago Bulls feel to it, just in terms of uh, being rock stars. You know, like these guys are attractions now. They're not just football players. You know, it's just the vibe is really different right now than it was even just a couple years ago, isn't it?
2: Yeah, 100%. I love that comparison, by the way. Growing up as a Chicago Bulls fan, it's like, you know, Josh Allen's the Michael Jordan of the group. Stefan Diggs is the Scotty Pippen. They're, yeah. they're like that one, two punch. Von Miller's the, the Dennis Rodman, the defensive star and guru. Uh, you, you know, maybe Gabriel Davis is the Tony Kukoc, that up and, you know, well, not up and comer. coach was amazing in, in the European League sure. and all that. But in the NBA, he was really good with that Bulls team. Uh, And and you can go on and on and kind of compare some of these players to different Bulls players, role players, things like that. But, yeah, it it is a rock star type of vibe. Uh, We've been away from training camp at St. John Fisher University for a few years now, and all of a sudden they come back and the Bills are the Super Bowl favorite. Josh Allen, who was very popular the last time he was there, is the MVP favorite. He's a legitimate superstar being asked to be part of Free to lay commercials being the match on uh, the golf tournament yeah. there. Um, you have von Miller, one of the biggest names on the defense side of the ball joining the team this year. Stefan Diggs, an absolute superstar, number one receiver. So yeah, I, the star power is there. You can compare it to the Super Bowl Bills era as well. Um, whatever the case may be, but absolutely rock star vibes, I think is a great way of putting it.
1: And the difference between now and say the nineties is because of social media, you get to see it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see pictures and videos instantly. I remember back in the day, Jim Kelly and, and Bruce and Thurman, Andre Reed, like those guys would show up at a, a bar on hurdle Avenue or on main street or something. And word of mouth was spread real quick, but they just walked in and they were treated again. It was like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones walking into a to a bar or to a restaurant. Kind of the same deal now with a lot of these guys. And you talked about a lot of things like the match with Josh Allen and, and stuff like that. It, the difference between now and then, of course, is that you get to capture everything on social media and, and you can see it. For an example, man, I was looking at photos. And again, with, with Twitter, sometimes you don't necessarily need to be at camp or at practices to kind of get a really good feel for what's going on. Because you have guys like... Mapparino, and you'll be there some yourself. And these guys who are bringing you as much updates as you can. I know they can't, you know, reveal everything that's going on with practice, NFL, and team policy. But you see a lot, and and you hear a lot. And I was today, in fact, just before we started taping, Brandon Bean is near the autograph tent signing probably hundreds of autographs. He's getting hounded almost like he's a player. When's the last time you've seen a general manager of a sports team? Getting hounded for autographs like Brandon Bean it's just incredible to me how popular he is right now.
2: Yeah, and I think that all goes back to the social media aspect of mm-hmm. things. You, you know, a few years ago you have Trey White uh, videotaping him in the locker room, calling him big baller bean and him laughing. And you know, since that time, even even Brandon Bean's star has taken off for the personality aspect of it. He's built quite the roster here, comparing where they were before he came. Uh, to where they are now. He's someone that's loved by the, the players here. So I, I'm not shocked by the fact that there are are people trying to get his signature as well. Um, Probably, I, honestly, the most popular GM since Bill Polian, I, I would go and say, and, and I would say McDermott's the most popular since Marv Levy. I don't think that's far-fetched by any stretch of the imagination for either of them. So, yeah, it, it goes back to the... Uh, Rockstar vibes, it goes back to the, the fact that social media has Bills fans. Uh, getting a little bit more inside access to how the, the players and everyone else view Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, the relationships that they have. All All those little things add up and help.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right, I'm back with Ryan Talbot from New York Up. Let's um talk about a couple of players and things going on with the team. A couple interesting positions coming into camp. One of them, offensive line, more so for depth than starters, but... Roger Stafford was injured in a car crash and, he, and he's got some cracked ribs that took place over uh, within the last couple of weeks. Sean McDermott spoke on Sunday, said that he's hopeful he'll be ready for the start of the season. Cody Ford, before camp started, I had a list of guys that I really wanted to be focused on and and I included Cody Ford and this was before I even knew about Stafford and I people, a lot of people you know, kind of question that and I'm like, all right, well, they got a new O-line coach and if he's ever going to turn things around, and I still don't think he necessarily would be a starter if everyone's healthy, but at least a, maybe a good swing guard who could play both positions and contribute if need be. And then you get a situation like this where that could happen sooner than later. Um, Cody Ford's going to get another another chance. So kind of speak on that a little bit about Saffold with the injury and what this might mean for Cody Ford and what he's got to do in just that guard position in general. Because if there's one thing that can derail an offense, this as talented as the Bills are, it would be key injuries to the offensive line or and or underperforming.
2: Yeah, listen, Roger Saffold was brought in here to bolster the offensive line coming off of a Pro Bowl season. Um, it, it's not ideal that he's going to be on the NFI list uh, w- with these cracked ribs and he's going to miss some time. But the good news for Saffold is he's played for Aaron Cromer before. The terminology is going to be something that he's familiar with. He's played at a high level. He was a second-team All-Pro uh, when Cromer was his O-line coach. So they've had success together before. I'm sure that he's going to be able to step in whenever that time comes at left guard and, and pick it up pretty quickly, pretty easily, based on his career thus far. And in terms of players like Cody Ford, you nailed it. This is his last opportunity, at least in Buffalo. Uh, Second-round pick, someone that was supposed to be a starter for this team. It hasn't worked out, hasn't materialized. He's dealt with a lot of injuries in his career with Buffalo. When he was drafted, a few off-seasons, he's dealt with things that have lingered uh, where he hasn't had a a true chance to show what he can do. And the good news for Ford this year is he was healthy this off-season. He was able to really train and work on his craft. He's getting a new O-line coach that has a history of getting the most out of his players. So I wouldn't say the odds are in his favor based on what we've seen over his career, but there's a chance for him to turn things around in Buffalo and show that he should be part of... That long-term future, even if it's in a reserve role, is is that first guy off the bench like you mentioned. Uh, The Bills have other options as well. They love players that have versatility, that can play inside-outside, that can play all three interior line spots. So it's not just going to get handed to Ford if he is going to be, you know, in terms of being the first guy off the bench, but you, you nailed it. There's an opportunity here for him to show that he can contribute and be a valuable role player for the Bills in 2022.
1: Another guy I want to talk about, Trey White. We all know he's working his way back from the torn ACL last year. Uh, Sean McDermott said, I'm going to read his quote. It's not a long one. He said on Sunday after practice, uh, he's on schedule. He looks really good. He's working his tail off. And I mean, Trey is a consummate pro. So that has not changed. And we're just excited to get him back when we can get him back. Now we've seen last year, I mean, Trey White is a critical player to the Bills. We all know that he's an all pro um, cornerback, But we've also seen the Bills play well before the Kansas City game last year, defensively at least, um, in the playoffs. So we know that the Bills are capable of playing games and playing well without Trey White. But just speak of his importance to the team, where you think, obviously, you don't know, and it's too early to know if he'll be back before the season opener. But where do you think he's at right now in um, his progress coming back from injury and his role that a healthy Trey White will play for a secondary that's going to have in all likeliness next to him alongside him, I should say, a rookie corner.
2: Yeah, listen, we don't really know where he's at. All we all we hear is he, his timeline is where it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the timeline's different for every player. We've seen players come back from serious lower body injuries, some faster than others. You know, it's not necessarily the same injury, but Cam Akers, for instance, uh, suffered an injury last year for the Rams in the preseason. He was back in time for the playoffs in the Super Bowl. Um, some players need a full year when it comes to the torn ACL, some need nine to 10 months. Uh, so we really don't know where he's at. The fact that you see him working off to the side on the bike, you saw him running on the sidelines a little bit. That's encouraging. Uh, some, I can't remember if it was McDermott or Bean that said something about protecting him from himself because he's might want to rush himself onto the field sooner than he is actually ready to. So that's what the training staff's going to be there for the medical staff. They're going to really get a good evaluation on him and they're not going to rush him into the lineup. You do want him out there sooner rather than later. Even though they're playing a lot of teams that I think might try to challenge them by running the ball, they're still week one against the Rams. Uh, And if if you could have a Trey White out there, that'd be a great game to have him because while they aren't the same team as one year ago, they won't have Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, Robert Woods was on that team at one point last year. They still have some talented players there, obviously Cooper Cup. Uh, They added Allen Robinson. They have some talented pass catchers. That would be a game where Trey White would come in handy. A week three against Miami with Tyree Kill there. Tyree Kill has gone on record saying that White's one of the, the top five cornerbacks that he's played against in his career. And, you know, look at the regular season game against the Chiefs last year versus that playoff matchup. I don't think that we talk about 13 seconds or anything if Trey White played in that game. I think the Bills win that game and they win it uh, by, by more than a score, and you're not worried about what could happen in those last few seconds if Trey White were able to play. Uh, the, the Bills' defense had no answer to the passing game in, in that playoff matchup where they, they played pretty well uh, in, in the regular season. So two games right off the bat, you'd love to have him, but you can't rush him out there. So if if that means rolling out the first month of the season with Dane Jackson, and Kyrie Elam, the rookie that you mentioned, so be it. Luckily, you have a duo of all pros at the safety position. You have Taron Johnson in the slot, one of the most, if not the most underrated Buffalo Bills player on this roster in terms of what he does and how good he is. So it's not a situation where I I think the Bills are going to be 0-4 or anything like that, if that's hypothetically how many games he's out. They've shown that they can play without him but they can go to a completely different level if White is healthy and he's in that lineup.
1: I want to talk about one of those all-pro safeties when you mentioned that position, of course, Jordan Poyer. So over the course of the last couple months, again, the two things that I feel like could always bring any team down, not just the Bills, but any team is A, injuries, of course, and also B, maybe an outside distraction that comes into the locker room and can become a problem. We were worried, or at least a lot of people were worried, myself included. I'll throw myself among them. That was worried about Jordan Poyer even showing up to a mandatory minicamp not too long ago because of the contract. We all know he wants a new contract. And Drew Rosenhaus is actually in Rochester right now. He was on the field at practice on Sunday. But anyway, a deal hasn't been done as of now, at least anyway. But he did show up. And then come training camp. Again, I'm worried, like, is he going to show up day one of training camp? The answer resoundingly was yes. Jordan Boyer is in camp. He did not hold out. Um, he said he never really thought of holding out. Um, again, Drew Rosenhaus is there. Now, does that mean a deal is imminent? Not necessarily so, but I don't know. I look at it as a good sign. There seems to be motivation on both sides to get a deal done, right?
2: Yeah, 100%. And and I don't want to sit here and and say with certainty that a deal is going to be done either, but you, you just mentioned it. Look at the clues. He didn't hold out during mandatory mini camp. He didn't hold out during uh, the pre or the preseason training camp. A- and you have his agent in town. He's saying all the right things about wanting to be a leader for this team. You've heard nothing but positive things from Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. Uh, you hear the teammates of Jordan Poyer speaking up on his behalf in terms of how important he's been. So he's doing everything the right way. The fact that the agent is here. Like I said, it doesn't mean that as soon as we're done taping this, that a deal is going to be announced in in a few hours or anything like that. But you'd like to think that Rosenhaus isn't just here for a garbage plate. He's he's likely (laughs) here to kind of get a little bit closer to getting a deal done. Being face to face with the, the GM, I think that obviously helps sometimes in negotiations in terms of sticking points, because that might be what it's down to right now. It might just be a a few sticking points in terms of the language and and things of that nature. And when you're face-to-face, it's a lot easier to work those differences out. So is something going to be done in the next 24 hours in the next week? Who knows? But I think there's a lot of positive signs telling you that it's trending in the right direction.
1: Jordan Boyer is 31 years old. Can you throw that number into garbage when it comes to his age based on the way he played last year? Uh, Some of the comments that... Sean McDermott, and especially Brandon Bean have said, not just about Poyer, but Hyde as well. When it comes to age, yeah, they're getting up there, but they're still playing at high levels. And I think the term was foreseeable future, I think Brandon Bean used when he talked about the safety still being able to play at a ridiculously high level. You you look at the importance of a Jordan Poyer to this defense, what he brings in terms of productivity. And again, with Trey White, maybe he isn't ready at the start of the season. And you got two younger corners. To me, that makes Jordan Poyer even more important to the scene.
2: Yeah, and, you know, when it comes to age, I'm not as concerned about the age of safeties as I am, for instance, cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. You know, how many cornerbacks have you seen hit 30, 31, and then their play declines in either one. Uh, they're quickly out of the league and they're, or they're on a new team. Uh, or two, they convert to safety. We've seen that happen where cornerbacks convert to safety, and all of a sudden they, they have a rebirth of sorts, and they have a few more extra good years left. Uh, that's not to say that safety is easier than cornerback. I'm not trying to downplay sure. the role of Poyer and Hyde by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that Poyer, one being 31, uh, isn't a huge deal in in terms of what you know the fact that he plays safety. But two, look at his early career in, in terms of with the Browns. When he was with the Browns, those first few seasons, he was not a regular, every down starter. It wasn't until the last season. Uh, where he suffered the season-ending injury, that he was a starter on that team. So he didn't come over to Buffalo with a lot of of wear and tear on his body in terms of playing uh, in the NFL. Now, he comes to the Bills, and he's been an every-down starter, essentially, since year one in 2017. So, yes, he's played a lot over the last few years, but he's coming off of an all-pro season. He's coming off the best season of his career. So it's hard to sit here and kind of – uh predict or say with certainty or even with any kind of bravado that he's going to be worse this year or next year and that you're going to see a steep decline in his play because of how he's looked the last few years but specifically how he played in 2021
1: ideally if you were brandon bean and let's not talk about what the pay would be but if you could if you could resign him or you could extend and what do you think is uh on top of this year maybe are you looking two to three years maximum that's what you'd like to get out of him again we'll put money aside just in terms of length, I think two years, yeah, two, three,
2: two years is what I would be looking at, because listen, you, you do have young guys on this roster that you need to evaluate. You don't just want to see these players that you've drafted walk away and not know what they have. You you do have a Damar Hamlin. You do have a Jaquan Johnson. And I'm not saying that they should come in and compete for the job this year. Obviously not when you have Poyer and Hyde, but at the same time, you don't want to handcuff yourself and just see those players walk away knowing, man, this guy was good enough to start for us on a Super Bowl contending team, and we had to let him go because we were we were tied up financially for this many years with Poyer. If it goes over like two years, for instance, um, whereas if it is just two years, you can say, "Listen, you know, we think that you are the the heir apparent at this position. We're going to sign you to a, a contract that doesn't break the bank because you don't have a lot of those reps if you're Hamlin or Johnson." Uh, but we'll, we're able to go down the road and renegotiate that if you're as good as we think you can be.
1: Okay, one more position I want to talk about, and, and then we'll get out of here. And that's wide receiver Nate Gary from WGR, my our good buddy, who might get one or two of his fingers broken if he actually follows through on Reed Ferguson snapping a ball to him pretty soon. But anyway, he brought up a, a good point on Monday before we started taping this when it comes to wide receiver, and I said, well. Maybe it's a good point. It's one that I certainly thought as well. And he was talking about Jamison Crowder and he said something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he was under the assumption Jamison Crowder was going to walk off the bus and be the de facto starting number three wide receiver on on this football team. But maybe that's a little bit premature because taking an awful lot away from Isaiah McKenzie by automatically assuming that Jamison Crowder is coming in and automatically is the number three. And I'll just a brief update. I don't even know why it's, again, it's early Monday, but I know Jameson Crowder did not practice on Monday with the Bills, but is it premature to kind of anoint Jamison Crowder as the number one three? Are, are we taking a little bit too much away from Isaiah McKenzie? Or are you still like pretty highly confident? Like I was anyway, that Crowder's here because he's basically taking over Cole Beasley's position.
2: No, I think Nate raises a great point. And listen, when they signed Crowder, I thought that he was going to be the number three, but split the role to a certain extent with Isaiah McKenzie. So the, the two of them would kind of take on a hybrid role of, of what Cole Beasley was for this team. Uh, that being said, he, you know, it, it's still early. They're not in pads, but Isaiah McKenzie, according to all reports, has been heavily involved. He He's been a big part of this offense. He's not doing certain drills with the team. Uh, In in other roles, he's just kind of sticking with the receivers, which that's huge. Uh, You you know, the other players that don't play special teams are are guys like Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis. That doesn't mean that's that's not going to change. It could change within the matter of a week uh, here and he could be back doing different things. But right now, I think that's huge for him. That's a good sign. And when the Bills did finally release Cole Beasley, one Of the first things that you saw Beasley say was, you know, to Isaiah McKenzie, you're ready for this role, you're ready to take it on. Uh, Matt Perino has mentioned this numerous times on Shout. There's no receiver on this roster that's been with Josh Allen longer than Isaiah McKenzie. He was here, um, you know, even before Allen, he, he's been a part of this team, uh, he, or, or with Allen, I should say, he's been here before Diggs and everyone else. So, you know, they've built up a rapport. Maybe year one obviously wasn't him being heavily involved in this offense by any stretch of the imagination, but. They know each other's personalities. They know what what each other like. You saw what they could do in that game against the Patriots last year, in uh, in the regular season when he was going against man defense, just getting open all day long, making big catches, not making any mistakes. So th- there's a reason that McKenzie deserves the opportunity to win that job outright, and then make uh, Jamison Crowder kind of the uh, reserve slot receiver, that player that can come in and still produce. I like Crowder. Listen, he's produced in his career, despite having really no solid quarterback, play, right. You insert him in Buffalo with the MVP leading candidate of the league. And I think he can put up great numbers, but if he's not going to be on the field, if he's going to struggle at all, and maybe this was just a one day deal, we'll kind of wait and see on that. Uh, as you alluded to what was often on a bike today on the, on the bike um, you know, the, the best ability is availability or whatever the saying may be. The bills love players that are available to them. That could not only open the door for Isaiah McKenzie to win the slot job outright. It can open the door for a guy like Khalil Shakir to get more involved in this offense earlier, sooner rather than later. And listen, two days of camp is just two days of camp, but Shakir has looked the part. He's looked very good so far.
1: Yeah. I would, uh, point out Sal Capaccio put out a tweet after practice here on Monday that, uh, Khalil Shakir had a a very strong day. And to your point with Isaiah McKenzie, and and I apologize, I should be accrediting this stat to someone because I saw it on Twitter. I just, to be honest with you, I don't remember who put it out, but I I got the stat. McKenzie played more than 33% of the snaps just once all season last year in 2021. That was week 16 when Beasley was out. In that game, McKenzie caught 11 of 12 targets for 125 yards and a touchdown. And again, that was the only game all season where he played a, more than 33% of the offensive snaps. One guy we haven't mentioned, but he's a name, so he's at least worth mentioning, is Tavon Austin. Now, I had a conversation with Aaron Quinn a couple weeks ago, and he doesn't seem to think much of his chances of making this roster at all. Again, I know it's very early. They're not even in a pad yet. Injuries could happen. But right now, you look at this roster, I don't think there is an awful lot of positional battles to, to make the 53, really maybe a couple, is he one of them? Do you think realistic is this guy got a, a real good chance of making his team or is this path uh, to this roster going to be very, very difficult?
2: No, I, I think he has an opportunity to make this team. Yeah. Now, mind you, uh, are the bills going to just give up on Isaiah Hodgins or Marquez Stevenson? No, they're going to give both of those players every opportunity to win one of those final wide receiver jobs. They were both draft picks by by this regime. That being said, Stevenson's had some issues with drops in in his rookie season. He had some uh, earlier this spring. Isaiah Hodgins, it's been injuries. It's just been inconsistency. Uh, And, and, you know, Tavon Austin has not been a big stat producer in the NFL since early in his career with the Rams. So I can't sit here and say that he's produced uh, more recently than either of those guys. It's been quite a few years, but he came in the spring. He looked great. He's come into two training camp practices. He's looked very good. We'll see what he looks like when the pads come on. But the Bills want someone that, A, can maybe handle punt return responsibilities. I'm not saying the job's his, but he has a history of doing that. And, two, they want someone that can stretch the field from time to time. The, the Bills primarily are going to have Stefan Diggs, Gabriel Davis, uh, Mackenzie or Jamison Crowder in the slot, Dawson Knox out there, But you want to have a a few plays here and there where you can put someone like a Tavon Austin in who can stretch the field and open things up underneath or get a a favorable matchup and really throw the ball downfield to him, see what he can do. And and there's very limited guys with that type of speed. Stevenson's one of them. But if he can outplay Stevenson, then, yeah, I think there is a path for Austin to claim that final spot, especially because he brings some special teams ability to this roster as well. and, And the Bills covet that.
1: For people who are either going to go to a practice in Rochester or for people who follow, you know, every nugget of information they can get their their eyes and their ears on when it comes to this team, who are one or two guys that, like, we haven't discussed or maybe just generally speaking, whether it's you and Matt or other shows, that not a lot of time seems to be spent on these guys. But one or two guys that, like, you're personally really intrigued by that you think could be players that are worth watching that maybe aren't necessarily getting the... uh the hype that some of these other guys are getting
2: yeah tim settle uh tim settle is the first one that Mm -hmm. comes to mind i'm a big tim settle fan um you know i've i don't know why i've watched a lot of washington commanders games over the last few years but somehow i have and (laughs) he's someone that always popped on the screen to me and back in 2020 when i was doing uh trade candidates he was i wrote an entire article on tim settle saying listen here's someone that is on a rookie contract for a few more years, a really favorable contract, but he's stuck behind an entire defensive line of first-round picks. The the opportunity wasn't there necessarily for him to win a starting job. Now, is he going to win a starting job in Buffalo this year? Probably not. You have Ed Oliver, you have Daquan Jones, who's that true one technique, Uh, but Tim Settle can be the first defensive tackle off the bench in terms of getting a lot of snaps in, in the Sean McDermott rotation, and he loves rotating defensive linemen. And he even showed that off the edge at times with Washington that he could get after the, the quarterback. And that's impressive for a guy his size. I, I really liked him settle from the player's perspective, what he brings from an energy perspective. Kind of reminds me a little bit of what Jordan Phillips brought to this team, who's now obviously here once again. Uh, offensive side of the ball, you know, I, I think he's starting to get talked about more and more. James Cook, I, I think maybe will be on the field sooner than even I expected when they drafted him. I always look at this what this team has done over the the course of the brandon bean sean mcdermott era and it's pretty much if you're a rookie we're not going to get you onto the field unless we have to they didn't want josh allen on the field as a rookie but they had to get him out there at a certain point when injuries took place they had to get trey white out there immediately uh tremaine edmonds out there immediately because there were just holes on the roster there but a lot of these other young first year second year players they ease them in they brought them along slowly look at the first two picks last year Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, there wasn't a need to force them onto the field when you had Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. They were part of a rotation. They didn't have to force them on. You have Devin Singletary right now. You have Zach Moss to a a lesser extent. But James Cook is is one, the best pass catching back on this team already. He proved it at Georgia. He's had some moments in the spring. He's had some moments here early in training camp. He's going to have a role right out of the gate as a pass catching back. Now, it's not going to be completely predictable every third down you're going to roll him out there you're going to get him out there on some earlier downs as well but i thought the bills were going to ease him in the more he impresses the the faster i think he's going to get out there and and the one thing i'll say about him too is a runner he brings that burst if he can get past that that first wave of defense I, i think that he can break off some really big gains and he's coming from a georgia team where he was not the the main back they had a rotation of back so his legs are still fresh you're not getting someone that is entering the league with all these reps under their belt. And, and um, that affects young running backs sometimes entering the league where they, they were the main back at their college for three, four years. That takes a lot of tread off, off the tires. So to speak. I think James Cook has a lot to bring to the table and he's someone that's going to play a much bigger role than even I envisioned when they first drafted him.
1: That excites me as well. All right. So before I let you go, Ryan, besides being uh sharing, um, a lifelong fondness for football, you and I are both lifelong WWE and professional wrestling fans. And uh, a very big bombshell recently with Vince McMahon um, paying off millions of dollars to a couple of women over alleged affairs in the past, which has led to a lot of other stuff. And now, ultimately, shockingly, on Friday, Vince McMahon is retired. He announced his retirement. He's done. And not just a CEO, but also creative control. And shortly before we started taping this podcast today, we've now learned that Triple H is now head of creative at WWE. Mass changes. I know you feel a lot of the same as, a, again, as a lifelong WWE fan. A lot of frustrations that I do. Some of these shows, Raw, SmackDown, they almost feel like reruns every week. It's like you switch one or two little tiny things around, but it's the same shit, you know, every week. Uh, give me your thoughts on what's going on with Miss McMahon. Again, from a wrestling standpoint, This is one of the biggest wrestling stories I personally have ever seen. Vince has been, you know, he took over WWF, WWE, what, 40 years ago and built the empire that he did. And now he's gone. So I don't know. What are your thoughts?
2: um, Yeah. uh, Unfortunate the way it ended, you know, you can say he retired, but uh, obviously there were, there were reasons for his retirement. Mm -hmm. That being said, the product has been pretty stale for the last few years. Um, it's been the same main eventers. It's been the the belt on the same two guys, essentially between Lesnar and now Roman Reigns. And and listen, I think this is the best Roman Reigns we've had. So there's been some good involved with that, putting him with Paul Heyman, putting him with the Usos. I I think that's great, but it's also kind of run its course a little bit. He's a part-timer now based on the new contract. You got to get some fresh guys in there, some legitimate competition. You got to change things up. And that's kind of where Triple H comes in. Um, I I still watch the product. My son is a diehard wrestling fan. He's watching Raw, SmackDown, AEW, the pay-per-views. And and not so much NXT 2.0, but when it was NXT under Triple H, we watched that maybe even more than any of the other shows uh, put together because it was was fun. The characters were great. The wrestling product was outstanding. Uh, so I think that he's not going to tear everything down that's going on on Raw and SmackDown, but he's going to build up some different characters in, into main eventers. He's going to make the product more interesting. You're not going to have the same match three, four weeks in a row, um, which even the New Day have poked fun at in recent interviews and things like that when they've been on Raw, how it's it was the same exact feuds over and over and over again. and And really, what is that proving? What is that... Uh, really doing for the product. It's, oh, I, I've seen Bianca versus Carmella a hundred times. I've seen these two matches a uh, hundred times over. I'm kind of bored with it. You click the channel, you turn it off. Triple H is going to help this product. I, I don't think it's necessarily going to happen overnight. Obviously, there's already things in place. There's already card built up for uh, SummerSlam. So you you kind of have to work with what you've already got to a certain extent. But he's going to help some of these young guys a uh, Gunther who I still call Walter. Uh, I could see him bring him along a, at an accelerated rate. And listen, you need someone to be his mouthpiece to talk for him, but he is someone that's kind of entertaining to watch in the ring for the physicality aspect of it. Uh, you have young guys in all these shows, you have young guys waiting in the wings that I think given the opportunity can end up being uh, main event prospects in, in the WWE. You still have Hands that I would love to see getting more involved in the, the title picture again. Older guys who have been there and established Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, uh, AJ Styles, it feels like the last few years have been a waste for him. Sure. And and to his credit, I'm sure he's been nothing but a good soldier about helping bring along these younger people and do the right thing. Uh, but there's just still so much talent there that I think that they, they miss some opportunities for him as a singles competitor. Maybe this is a good thing for your Damian priests and your Finn Balor's um, who I feel like Finn Balor with Vincent McMahon could only go so far in each product. I know he was the first universal champ, but since that point, it's, it's been kind of stale for him. So I, I think that even some of these guys that have been around for a while, you can see them getting elevated, getting more opportunities to show that they can kind of run with the ball. And even though he's much older than everyone else that I mentioned, I would love to see edge get one more run. Uh, I I thought they had an opportunity to do that when he won the Rumble, obviously, when you you put him up in that match uh, against Roman Reigns. And at that time, I I keep wanting to say Brian Danielson, but uh, Daniel Bryan, uh, (laughs) you kind of knew the outcome ahead of time. But yeah, there's still a lot of talent there for for Triple H to work with, and I'm excited about that.
1: Me me too, and it isn't going to happen overnight. I've seen some people on Twitter, some wrestling fans, already really excited about watching Raw tonight because they think they're going to get some kind of extreme makeover right away not gonna happen not that quickly the problem and you're right it is the same it's Lesnar and it's um it's Roman Reigns and to some extent Seth Rollins and Randy Orton and then it's everybody else levels below and probably the most annoying thing for me over the last three to five years or so with WWE is you do get guys like AJ Styles although it's not been the last couple years like you said it's kind of his last few years have been a waste but like Kevin Owens or Cesaro when he was here soldiers like you spoke of They'll carry the company for chunks of time during the calendar year, like say maybe September through January. But then every year when it gets to be Royal Rumble time and the build up to WrestleMania, that's where you'll see the Cena's come back or the Goldberg's come back. And it's the same people in the same main event matches every time. I'd like to see guys like uh, Kevin Odom. I mean, this year, Kevin Owens with Steve Austin close out WrestleMania. And that was really cool. But you know what I'm saying? Some of these guys get elevated for a while But then they get pushed right back down when it gets to be money time, when it gets to be WrestleMania season. I hope that changes. Yeah, I mean,
2: Owens had that huge feud with Roman Reigns where they had like three or four pay-per-view matches in a row that all had um, inconclusive results or Reigns would cheat so he'd get the rematch. And (laughs) that was actually a very entertaining program. And no point did I think Owens was walking away with the title, but he showed what he could do. You know, and, and kudos to Steve Austin as well because he played a part in it. I thought that match was very entertaining. It was not a technical exhibition at WrestleMania between Owens and and Steve Austin, but the fact that they pulled off an entertaining match for someone who had been away from the ring for so long. And the fact that Austin trusted him so much to take some of the bumps that he did uh, on on bad knees, on a bad neck, especially, um, you know, I was very impressed with that. So that kind of speaks as well to, Uh, Owens is standing among his peers and to even to an extent, what he was like to Vince McMahon and some of the other people in creative. Now I just want to see him take that next level, split the belts up again. It's better off that way. Uh, two separate brands, two separate titles, unless you're getting some workhorse that's going to be on both shows and and really make it worth your while.
1: Yeah. I would say what WrestleMania, I feel like WWE got a lot of momentum, but then I feel like not long after that they lost it and now maybe with Vince McMahon out in terms of creative for good Triple H can come in and I'm sure with some other guys and they could uh they can turn this around but anyway this was fun man Ryan Talbot newyorkup.com make sure you follow his work of course check out the Shout the Buffalo Football Podcast along with him Matt Perino great stuff man again it was a long time since I had you on it was, it was good to have you back talk some football talk some podcasting Talk some WWE. One of my favorite guys, man. Thank you so much, Ryan.
2: Hey, thank you again for having me on. Always a pleasure.
1: All right, guys. I we'll be back with another episode on Friday, casual Friday, with my buddy, Joe Yurden. Talk to you guys soon.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?